Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John 1, verse 1-3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested to, manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly... Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Until I stood up here just now, I didn't realize how many people were here. We have a good crowd, and I'm so glad to see you here. I I read an article this past week that said that 40% of churches in Christendom are not meeting today. 40%. I, I just want to say that I am so thankful to be part of a congregation where that's never questioned. I, I don't know about you. I think I know about you. I, I really needed to worship. And I, I don't want to disappoint my Lord by, by choosing to not worship him. I, I know that today is a special day and a family day, and I'm so glad that you have come this morning, but I declare to you it was never a question in my family where we would be, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Surely one of the greatest securities in being a Christian is that God is with us. We bow our heads in prayer multiple times a day, and we talk to him. The way that God talks to us is through the Bible. The way we talk to him is through prayer. If we had to lose one, we'd need to lose prayer because it's more important for him to talk to us than for us to talk to him. But what a joy it is to know that God is with us and that we can pray and he hears Christians' prayers. And when you read through the Old Testament, you read so many different discussions of God being with us. And those people of old knew that they needed God's presence. So Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1 is precious. And this here's the Noahic flood. And the instruction was to come into the ark. Now you've thought about that, haven't you? He didn't say go into the ark. That would mean he was on the outside. But he said come into the ark. And the emphasis is that God was in there. God was saying, you come because my presence is here. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not leave nor forsake you. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You know why? Sure you do. Because thou art with me. God's presence was very important in the lives of people of old. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's go to the next one. There we are. I'm sorry. Go back. There you go. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And now to Matthew chapter 1. And this is, this is where we're going to be for today. And you're familiar with this passage. 
I just want to emphasize, let's go, there we go. I want to emphasize one word, one name or description of Jesus today. And this is really the emphasis of the whole sermon. And it, and it starts here in Matthew chapter 1. She'll bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now listen very closely to what I'm about to read to you. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is... God with us. I do not know when Jesus was born. Talked about that some last week. But I do know this. When he was born, his name was Emmanuel. Now that's not his proper name. That's not his his given name by which you would just commonly refer to him. It's more of a description. It's a title. It's It's a designation for who he is. And Matthew points back to prof- prophecy of Isaiah, and he says, now, now this is what he will be. He will be Emmanuel, and that is translated. It's like, don't you think the people at that time knew what Emmanuel meant in translation? But, but Mo- Matthew wants to nail this down for all generations, including ours, and Emmanuel means God with us. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Now, the prophecy is, in the time of Isaiah. That, that, that's 700 years. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Seven centuries before Jesus would come to earth. Here's the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and so shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the subject of this lesson this morning. That's what he is going to be. He'll be called Emmanuel. God with us. All right. I'm going to look at it from various different uh, points. And the first one is the history. Walk with me and let's talk about the history behind the name. In in Isaiah chapter 7, you have this situation. So the king of of Judah, Ahad, uh, Ahaz, is, um, is pained by a warring that's happening from the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And so that's the chapter. And, and he is fretted about this, bothered by this. And the Lord God says, well, Ahaz, ask me for a sign. I'll, I'll give you a sign that everything's going to be all right. That, that this is going to be short-lived and before long these kings are going to be no more. And Ahaz says, oh, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't need a sign. I, I don't want to tempt the Lord God. I don't want to make him prove to me that, he, that his word is valid. So that's not necessary. But the Lord said, let me give you a sign anyway. And it was in this context that he said, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. Now, that's the plain part. The difficult part is how just that relates to what's going on at that time. And and some people say that there's a dual fulfillment here. The idea would be that that there must be some sense in which there's a virgin 700 years ago during the time of Isaiah and in the life of Ahaz, and that that would somehow connect to this. Well, you're never going to make sense of that because it doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. That's a very difficult thing. Probably the point is, if you read the chapter in, in Isaiah 7, that it's about a duration of time. And he, he does say that the one who would be born of a virgin 
between the time that he's born and the time that he comes of age to where he can discern good from evil, that that would be the amount of time approximately that it would be before these two nuisance kings would be out of the way. So it's probably a time frame. But I'm telling you, that part's challenging when you read the chapter. That's really challenging. Some people have come up with some silly ideas. I mean, you know, so dual fulfillment. And the idea is that maybe there were two virgins. And you say, well, wait a minute, that can't be right. You can't have a miraculous conception 700 years ago. And then that doesn't make any sense. And that's, well, yeah, but see, maybe it was a, a minimal fulfillment then. So maybe it was the wife of Ahaz. Oops, wait a minute. Ahaz's wife already had a son. Well, maybe Isaiah's wife. Hmm, no, wait, she already had a son too. Well, okay, well, maybe it's that that... This is a girl who is a virgin, and then she marries and conceives in the normal way, and then she has a child, and maybe we could say that it was a virgin conceiving and bearing a child, and that would be the smaller fulfillment, and then later on in the Lord, you had the bigger fulfillment. You can't, you can't say that. That doesn't make any sense. And surely it can't be the case that you truly had a virgin conceiving in the same way that Mary did 700 years ago for that. And then now you have another one, two different virgins. That, that can't make sense either. We know, we know what was being prophesied here goes to Matthew chapter 1. That's why Matthew 1.23 is so critical. It's because Matthew says, hey everybody, this is it. This is what Isaiah was talking about and it's fulfilled in the Christ child. So... Mary had just said, how can this be, seeing I've known not a man? Mary said it. The angel said it. Joseph indicated it because what he did, we talked about that last week. And Matthew, inspired of God, says, this is it. This is, this is it. So here's a quote from O.T. Alice. O.T. Alice was a... He's been dead a long time now, but a Bible scholar. And he says that the birth of Emmanuel in Isaiah's time was a perfectly natural one. The, the, the analogy would clearly favor the rejection of the virgin birth of Jesus. One more thing. When you're in Isaiah chapter 7, a virgin would conceive. The word virgin there is the Hebrew word Alma. And Alma in the Old Testament is never translated anything except virgin. It is always an unmarried woman every single time. So here's Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now bear in mind that we've been reading in Isaiah chapter 7 and now you turn the page a couple of pages and you get to Isaiah 9 and here's what Isaiah has on his mind. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Micah has it on his mind in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So here's the history behind Isaiah chapter 7. What's challenging is just how it applies to the present case. But that's Isaiah's business, and and Ahaz gets it. What is critical to us is that there is no ambiguity about this, is that its fulfillment is in Matthew 1 and 23, and it has to do with Jesus, and it is Jesus who is God with us. Here's the second thing. Let's talk about the significance of the name, God with us. God with us. 
Jesus is God. Now, that despite our friends in the Jehovah's Witness faith who have this rather strange idea about Jesus. Now, mind you, they think he was a very wonderful man, and they'll talk about accolades relative to Christ and Jesus Christ. But when it comes to this point, they really have a hiccup. And and it's that they do not believe Jesus is God in the same way that the Father is God. That Jesus, they would say, is a created being and not an eternal being. And so he's, he's not like Jehovah. I mean, he's not like the Almighty God. He's not like that. But of course, that's a mistake. Of course, he's eternal. Of course, he truly is fully God. Of course, he is. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. Did he make himself? That's a logical impossibility. Of course, he didn't make himself. Well, then he never was made because he made all things that were made, right? So Jesus is God. In John 8 and 54, Jesus declared himself to be, I am. Well, that's significant because back in Exodus chapter 3, you know, Moses said, who will I say has sent me? Will you tell him I am sent you? I am. Now, what's the significance of the name I am for God? It's that that's always his name. It's always been his name. It'll always be his name. It, it, it emphasizes the eternality of God. He, he always existed. He will always exist. His name's always going to be I am. Well, Jesus took that same name. Jesus described himself, describes himself the same way. And there are three very distinctive personalities, and you know this. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Jesus is God. When I was baptized many years ago, I did so in obedience to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, and people are to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So no wonder in John chapter 20 and verse 28 did Thomas look at Jesus after his resurrection and, and refer to him this way, my Lord and my God. Now, the emphasis behind then Emmanuel, God with us, has to be that he has authority. Now, see, this is the rub. This is the problem. It's the problem today, but it's always been. And when Jesus came to earth, the problem was that to say he is God, the emphasis on his authority rubs some people the wrong way and some people in power very much the wrong way, namely a man named Herod. You know what happens in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, and I'm going to read a couple of those verses in just a few minutes, but... With your permission, I'd like to give you some background history about Herod the Great. There are going to be other Herods, of course, but Herod the Great is the one who is going to have those babies killed in Bethlehem trying to get to Jesus. Now, Herod the Great came to power in a rather unusual way. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar was killed. He was assassinated in Pompeii and at his own senate and, you know, a tu Brutus, you tu Brutus, Cassius, and, and they, they gathered around him and they took his life. They pierced him 23 times in March of 44 BC, March 15. And, and there he died. Well, he has this, this great nephew, Octavius, who's very powerful, who ultimately is going to be Caesar Augustus. He's going to rise in power. And then you have Mark Antony. Mark Antony is the one who would marry, you know, that woman, right? Cleopatra. All right. 
So Mark Antony is already a political leader. He's very powerful in his own right. But, but you have, so you have Octavius and, and you have Mark Antony, and they, they join together and decide they will avenge the death of Julius Caesar. And so they, get, they garner their forces and they head out and they accomplish this. They avenge the death of Julius. And that, that just catapults them into real power. But you have two powers in the Roman Empire at that time. You got Octavius and you have Mark Antony. And you know what happens. They're opportunists. They're interested in more and more power. So eventually, they have a civil war. They bring their forces against each other to decide who's the biggest dog in town. And the answer was Octavius. He's the one. And of course, defeating Mark Antony's forces means that he is, he is even higher. Now, he is the big dog in Rome. He is going to be, very shortly, Caesar Augustus. He's the big man. All right, now I know you're wondering about Herod. Well, so Herod's problem was that he had very vocally, in that civil war, he had supported Mark Antony. And that was the wrong thing to do, as it turns out. And now Mark Antony is out of the picture. And so what's going to happen to Herod is that, well, he'll probably have to be eliminated by the big dog now, by Octavius. But, but Herod did a rather interesting thing. And history records that one of the greatest speeches was made by Herod on this occasion. So instead of doing what you would assume, which is run as far as he could away from Octavius, Herod goes to the isle, the island and where Octavius is, the island of Rhodes, and he goes up and just says, can I have an appointment with Octavius? Can you have an appointment? <laughs> this is going to be good. And they said, yeah, come on in. And they escort him right up to Octavius. Well, you know, this is kind of amusing. I don't have to look for you. You've come to me. But Herod was doing that on purpose. So Herod's got a lot of grit, and he comes before Octavius. And in this speech that is terribly famous, Herod presents himself with this argument. Now, before I tell you what it is, I'm going to tell you that it's going to work. This is going to work, and he's going to, Herod's going to be, on this day, put into great power, greater power. He's going to be the king of the Jews, and this speech is the moment of truth for him. So here's how the argument goes, is that Octavius... Let me tell you about my character. When I pledge allegiance to somebody, like I did to Mark Antony, I stick with it. No, I mean, good times and bad, I'm going to be loyal to that man because that's the one to whom I pledged my allegiance. And I've come today to say, in view of the fact that Mark Antony has been defeated, that's history now. I want to pledge my allegiance to you. That's what Herod said. And everything I've got and all that I am, whatever influence I've got, I want to give it to you. Octavius said, okie doke. You know, you thought, I want, I want his influence. Whatever influence he might have, I think that sounds pretty good. And so on that occasion, Octavius gave to Herod Jericho, Samaria, Gaza, and and. In essence, and now it's just the, 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 the case, is that Herod is king of the Jews. He's king of the Jews. He's got Roman power. Roman, he's, not a, he's not a Jew. He's, he's, he, his mother was an Arab. He, he's not a Jew, but he's been around the Jews a lot, and now he's king of the Jews. And he wants to make them pretty happy. And so, you know, he's going to rebuild Solomon's temple. Bigger, better, finer, more gold than Solomon did. He's going to rebuild the walls, repair the walls around Jerusalem. He's going to 
you go down to the coast there to Caesarea, and he's going to build an amphitheater, and he's going to do all these. He's a builder. He loves it, but there's a problem with Herod. The problem with Herod the Great is that he's very sensitive to the risk to his power. And so he looks around his family members. Mind you, he's got a lot of them because he has ten wives. He's going to end up, before it's over, with ten wives. And one of them has a couple of sons, for example, that Herod gets the rumor that maybe they would want his throne. So he just has his own sons executed. And eventually, uh, Mary Omne, who is that wife, who history says he really loved her, but he got a rumor that maybe she would threaten his throne, and so he had his wife killed. And there were many others. I'm telling you, somebody said that it, was, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son because you probably would live longer. That's Herod. I mean, there were lots of people. I mean, you just knew that if you offended Herod, that's a mistake because he would, he would have you executed with a snap of his finger and he wouldn't think anything of it because he was jealous of his power. Now, I'm in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Drop down to verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, that's, that, that's Herod the Great that we just talked about. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? I've underlined that in my Bible. Because we just said that Herod was king of the Jews. Where's the little baby that's born king of the Jews? Do you understand what's going through Herod's mind right now? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because they know the kind of man Herod is. You know, rabbis would run from him. They didn't want to be anywhere near him because of the threat of death. They, they just thought they could offend him. I think he was probably a little insane. If you think he wasn't, one of the things he did before he died was to give this command that when he came near death... They were to go around and get all, get a, at least a number of dignitaries, well thought of men, and take them all to Jericho. And, and when Herod died, all those men were to be executed. You want to know the reason? If you haven't heard or studied this, you're going to love this. It was because he was so hated, nobody would cry at his funeral. But if all these good men were killed at that time, then there would be a lot of crying going on, and it would be, well, it would make him feel better, I guess. Now, that wasn't actually carried out because that was lunacy. After he died, they didn't do that, but that's what he wanted. So when he heard that this, this child was going to be born, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. And they quote from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the, the Bible. And they said, here's what it says about the, the Messiah being born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, in this Bethlehem. Wait a minute. That means Herod has some idea about who this baby is. But he's not going to give him his throne. <laughs> you know what? We, we are not going to let that happen. Herod viewed himself. Uh, maybe he thought it was the greater good. Okay, so maybe he's from God. Maybe he's the son of God. Maybe he is God in the flesh. Maybe he is, wait a minute, what'd you call him? What was that? 
Emmanuel, God with us. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take care of that because I'm not letting him interfere with my throne. Emmanuel meant God with us. And that was a threat in the minds of some people when Jesus came to earth. It's a threat in the minds of many people today. Here's number three. It's the unique, unique occasion. This word Emmanuel is used at the birth of Jesus, when Jesus came in this unique way. Now, now God was with people. God was with his people prior to the coming of Jesus. He's with his people now. There's a unique window of time in which, in which God was with the people in a physical way. God became man. It was not uncommon during the Old Testament times for people to name their children with proper names that included the idea of God. Look at this next slide. Can you throw that up? Isaiah means the salvation of the Lord. Eliezer, the help of God. Eli means my God. And Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And here's number four in the final one. Our life's joy is in the name. When we're baptized into Christ, the Bible says, Galatians chapter 3 and 26, that we're baptized into Jesus Christ, and we put on Christ. There's a closeness that occurs when you become a Christian, and that's what's emphasized there. And the idea is, in Matthew 28, 20, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and upon earth, and we're baptized into his name, and he's got authority because he's God. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Is Jesus with us? Is God with us? And the answer is that he's not physically here, but oh, he is here. That's what the Bible says. And this has a complete, the circle is all complete when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you're familiar with this, beginning in verse 13. I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that means dead, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will not prevent them which are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now listen to this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know how often we use it, and I don't know how, with what depth, we appreciate it. I want us to appreciate it, and that's why I'm preaching this sermon. Emmanuel means God with us. What is the Lord's name? It's Emmanuel. 1 John chapter 3 says we're going to see him one day as he is. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. I'm glad you're here. Isn't it a joy to worship God? And the emphasis of today's lesson is the joy that we have because he is Emmanuel, because he is God with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. We must never leave or forsake him. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who wants to obey the gospel. You want to be in Christ? 
Are there times in your life right now that you wish you could be closer to the Lord, that you could look at him and say, I I want him with me always. I want to never leave him and I want him to never leave me. You need to be in Christ. You can repent of your sins and confess him and be baptized. And the Bible says it is into Christ and that we put on Christ in baptism. Emmanuel. Maybe, maybe you need the prayers of the Christians today. And we're assembled. Now would be such a good time. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.